Thank you, choir. What a beautiful song. One of my favorite musicians wrote that song, Ken Miedema. I was first introduced to Ken Miedema when I was a teenager, just a few years ago. But since then, he's been one of my musical heroes. He's a true musical prophet, and so I really appreciate um, his words of wisdom and, and um, his words of inspiration for each of us. You, you probably know this about me, um, if you've been in any Bible studies that I've led or anything like that, but I love the etymology of words. Uh, for, for me, if you know where a word comes from, the meaning behind that word just seems to run a little bit deeper. For example, there was a common ruse among con artists in Ireland many years ago in which the con artist would place a ring which looked like it was very valuable, very expensive, but it was basically worthless. And they would take this ring and place it in a public place where somebody was sure to find it. And the, the ring in the Irish dialect was called a fawny, a fawny, which is the word for finger. And sure enough, sooner or later, somebody would come along and find this ring and think that they had found something very valuable. But usually what would happen is that this person would start look, looking around to see if the owner was, may, might be around to, to see their find and, and come and, and claim it. But then suddenly, from nowhere, the con artist would show up. And the con artist would either persuade or intimidate his victim into paying him to keep quiet about the find. And thus the con artist would walk off with the hush money and leave the sucker there holding a beautiful, worthless ring. So people were defrauded in this way um, so many times that anything fake came to be called a fawny. And of course, this was later Americanized to the word phony. Huh. I like etymology. <laughs> Nobody likes a fawny or a phony. Someone who looks like the real thing, but in truth is just an imitation. There's a fascinating story about the death of the former Soviet dictator, Joseph Stalin. Stalin, of course, was known to be a cruel and, and vindictive man. And, and, and apparently during a meeting of the Presidium, the Communist Party Executive Committee, he suffered some kind of a seizure. It seems that, that someone had made a proposition or a proposal that uh, that Stalin violently disagreed with, and in his fury, he jumped to his feet and suddenly crashed to the floor, unconscious. Well, while all of the, all of the other Presidium members just kind of froze and, and stared blankly at Stalin lying there on the floor, there was one scheming bureaucrat named Lavarenti Beria, who jumped to his feet and literally started dancing around Stalin's body, shouting, We're free! We're free! We're free at last! But as Stalin's daughter forced her way into the room and fell to her knees by her father's side, the dictator stirred a little bit, and he opened one eye, 
And immediately Berea dropped down beside Stalin, took his hands and started covering them with kisses. No use taking any chances, just in case the dictator was still alive. I believe that you could say that Leverenti Beria would qualify as a phony. Nobody likes a phony. Even Jesus didn't like phonies, and Jesus likes everybody. We're often reminded that Jesus never called anyone a sinner, and that's true. His position was one that all of us would would do well to follow, and that is to look past the sin of the person who is caught in a misdeed and see the person behind. But even still, even Jesus had no sympathy for phonies. The word that he used to describe them was hypocrites. Nobody likes a hypocrite. In today's lesson, Jesus tells us to be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you need, when you give to the needy, don't make a show of it, John. <laughs> don't make a show of it. Don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street corners to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, he says, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your gift may be made in secret. And then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing up in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward But when you pray, go into your room, close your door, and pray to the Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then later in that same chapter, he says, When you fast, don't look somber like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, as as many of us do during the Lenten season. Brush your hair. Wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is just one example of many of Jesus making it very clear that Jesus didn't like phonies. And the question is, who does? Mark Twain certainly didn't. A a lot of his humorous material was based on the so-called piety of so-called good Christian people. Apparently, there was one acquaintance of Twain's who had managed to combine the appearance of piety with several very unsavory unsavory practices in his business life. And wonder of wonders, he was blind to this. He was blind to the incongruity of it all. Before I die, this crooked man proclaimed publicly, I mean to make a pilgrimage, pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And there I will climb up to the top of Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments out loud. 
And Mark Twain's response was, I've got a better idea. Why don't you just stay right here at home and keep the Ten Commandments? Mark Twain knew this man's heart. He was a phony. He was a hypocrite. Robert Morgan tells about how disgusted many Americans felt when transcripts of the famous Watergate tapes were released. It seems that many Americans were stunned to read the unrestrained filthiness of language that was being used in the Oval Office by President Nixon and his associates. Here was a man who publicly put himself out there as a devout Quaker, and almost every sentence was soiled with profanities and obscenities of the worst kind. Morgan says, it seems all the more ironic then to watch videotapes of the televised campaign debates between Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy in 1960. Because that's when Nixon sanctimoniously criticized the crusty language of Harry Truman. Listen to Nixon's own words. I quote, It makes you realize that whoever is president is going to be a man that all the children of America will either look up to or will look down to. And I can only say that I'm very proud that President Eisenhower restored dignity and decency and, frankly, good language to the conduct of the presidency of the United States. And I only hope that should I win this election, that I could see to it that whenever any mother or father talks to his child, he can look at the man at the White House and say, well, there's a man who maintains the kind of personal standards that I want my child to follow. End quote. But as they say, the truth will out. And those secret tapes from the Oval Office showed that Mr. Nixon was not the kind of man that we all hoped he would be. Now, folks, we all have to admit that we're all sinners. Yeah? Yeah? We're all sinners. And sometimes otherwise fine people may find themselves using bad language from time to time. I understand that. I play golf. <laughs> you know, it's always interesting. You know, sometimes you go to a golf course, you don't have a foursome, and, and, uh, and they'll put you together to make a foursome. And, and the first tee, you know, they, they, you just kind of introduce each other, the names and everything. And then about, about the third hole, you get around to, so what do you do for a living? Everything changes after that. <laughs> There's something particularly offensive about someone who so misrepresents his or herself, his or her character, who says one thing but does something completely different who puts himself or herself out there as some kind of a moral or ethical paragon, but falls so far short of the standard himself or herself. And folks, let me tell you something. Phoniness is particularly deadly when it comes to the business of following Jesus. So many People today have been turned off to Christ because they have seen the sheer hypocrisy 
of blatantly phony Christians. Years ago in Germany, there was a young Jewish boy who admired his father so very much. And he did his best to imitate his his father's acts of piety and devotion as prescribed by the Jewish faith. His father was zealous in in attending worship services and, and religious instruction, and he demanded the same from his family. But then, while the boy was still a teenager... The family had to move from one town in Germany to another town in Germany. And soon after they made this move, this Jewish father announced to the family that they were all going to join the local Lutheran church. And when the stunned family asked why, the father explained that all the leading families of their new community belonged to the Lutheran church. And it would be good for business for them to join as well. That young boy, of course, was bewildered bewildered and confused. And his deep disappointment soon gave way to anger and bitterness that plagued him for the rest of his life. And that same young man eventually left Germany and went to England to study. And each day while he was there, he would go and he would sit at the British Museum just to ruminate and he formulate ideas. And he was writing a book and... And in that book, he conceived of a movement that was designed to, to change the world. And, in that, and it was in that book that he dismissed all religion as the opiate for the masses, which the world would be better off without. And that man's, young man's name, of course, was Karl Marx. And that system was communism. And folks, who could blame him for his anger, for his bitterness? He watched his father give up his faith because it was good for business. Phony. We've all seen it. Business people use religion to bolster their business. Politicians use religion to gain votes. I I think I've told some of you before about the local politician in my hometown of Griffin, Georgia, who was a member of our church. And he was always running for some office or another. But the thing is that he would never darken the doors of our church until it was election time. And then he joined the choir. (laughs) Just checking to see if there are any different faces back there. Wouldn't you agree that hypocrisy is particularly deadly when it is practiced by religious people? One of the issues facing evangelicals today is how many of them have yielded their long-held standards of personal and moral behavior for the sake of political expediency. The moral standards with which they have held some politicians suddenly seem unimportant when it comes to others. 
because the polit- their political policies seem to be more important than their moral, con- moral conscience. And folks, believe you me, the young people of our society are taking note. They are very much like Karl Marx, and they are disgusted with the hypocrisy of Christians who sell their souls for political gain. And this hypocrisy will damage the Christian faith for generations to come. I heard about two men who met on the street one day, and one said to the other, Did you hear about Harry? He embezzled the company out of a half a million dollars. The other man said, that's terrible. I never did trust Harry. First man said, not only that, but he left town and he took Tom's wife with him. And the other man said, that's awful. Harry always was a ne'er-do-well. The first man says, not only that, but he stole a car to make his getaway. And the other man said, that's scandalous. I always did think Harry was, had a bad streak in him. And the first man said, not only that, but they think he was drunk when he left town. And the other man said, Harry's no good. All right. But it's in, then he said, what really bothers me is, who's going to teach a Sunday school class this Sunday? <laughs> of course, anybody can be a phony. There have been many very public examples in my own profession. A pastor vehemently proclaiming the importance of personal purity discovered frequenting the services of a prostitute. A televangelist holding himself up as a paragon of virtue, embezzling huge sums of money to line his own pockets and to use church funds to provide hush money for the secretary with whom he's having an affair. Anybody in any, any profession can be a phony. But somehow it's worse when it's somebody who holds himself or herself up as a model for others. I think Jesus looks more fondly upon someone who is real about his or her sinfulness than someone who hides it. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want us to make a show of our faith. Instead, Jesus wants us to be authentic in our commitment to him. That's what Lent is all about. It's about dropping the pretense. It's about living the Christ life to the best of our ability and not worrying about what the rest of the world thinks. It's about humbling ourselves in the presence of utter and complete holiness and praying along with the psalmist, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Folks, Our focus during Lent is not upon ourselves, but upon the cross. Upon Christ, the one who made himself nothing. 
taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the, the appearance as a, as, as a human being. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. My friends, there was nothing phony about Jesus. There was no desire to impress others by seeming to be something that he was not. He reached, he, he, he was real to the end. Even as he reached out in love to the thief who hung on the cross next to him. Even as he forgave the soldiers who taunted him and ultimately crucified him. And that's what he wants from us. Be real for Christ's sake. Be genuine as Christ was genuine. Use this time of Lent between now and Easter to examine your hearts and ask if your actions are in conformity with your faith. And that's important, folks. Examine your hearts and ask yourselves, are my actions in conformity with my faith? And if not, then let your prayer be that Christ will give you a new heart. A heart that's like his heart. Never let it be said of you that you're a phony. Be real for God's sake. Be real in your faith and in your life. Amen. Let us sing our closing hymn, Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross. And that's, you know, that, that's the way we keep it real, isn't it? Just to be near the cross. To have that as our focus. The cross of Christ. The, the, that tremendous demonstration of God's love for each of us. And our recognition that no matter how good or bad we are, we're not worthy of any of it but to come to God in humility, to confess our sins before the Lord, to recognize that 